Good morning. Let's get straight to markets. Take a look at the impact for the indices. Factual. Succinct. All you need to know before your trading day starts. Subscribe to our newsletter, CNBC's Daily Open. Hello and welcome to another episode of CNBC's Beyond the Valley. In this episode, we're jumping back into the topic of cryptocurrencies. What you've seen in 2019 is somewhat of a revival in some of the prices of some of these cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, but also interest has been revived to some extent as well. A lot of that has been driven by what's known as Facebook's Libra project. There's been a, a interest, there's been concern. Uh, and in this episode of Beyond the Valley, we'll be talking about what that project is and its aim. It plugs into an existing ecosystem of 2 billion global users who can now send money to each other instantly. That's the kind of thing that takes us mainstream why regulators are very concerned about it. It's something that's outside of their control. It would essentially be a, a non-government reserve currency. And how close, if ever, cryptocurrencies are to going mainstream. That's probably the hardest part, is changing people's very strong view about what money is to this notion of a decentralized independent currency. I'm joined by my two wonderful colleagues who've been busy bringing uh, these interviews to you. Elizabeth Schultze in London. Elizabeth, how are you? I've been good, Arjun. Keeping up with a lot of tech news these days. Yeah, it's been a busy time in the tech world, as always. And Saheli Roy Chowdhury over in Singapore, how's it going? It's going great, Arjun. Picking up from what you were saying about Libra, I think if it takes off the way it's intended to, then it will completely change the way we think about digital currencies. Okay, so let's dig into uh, Libra and exactly what it is. Technically, it's not Facebook's cryptocurrency. Facebook is the co-founder of the Libra Association. This essentially acts as the monetary authority to some extent for this uh, digital currency. There are other members too, like MasterCard, PayPal, and Visa. But this association ultimately wants to have around 100 members, each with the same voting power. In that way, theoretically anyway, Facebook won't have ultimate control over the currency. Now, let me just read out uh, very quickly Libra's mission statement here. Libra's mission is to enable a simple global currency and financial infrastructure that empowers billions of people. Now... I, like many, have a lot of questions. Elizabeth, let me kick off with you. Let's dig into to one of those. How will this digital coin work? So essentially the way this would work is Libra is a digital coin used for payments. So think of it a little bit like digital cash. Companies that are part of this Libra association, so like Facebook, then create their own digital wallets. In Facebook, it's called Calibra. And they're used to transfer that digital cash to other people. So like in Facebook's case, it's likely Calibra could be integrated into Facebook's existing apps like WhatsApp or Messenger. The point is not so much to store Libra as an investment because it doesn't earn interest or anything like something you keep in the bank. Instead, it's a way to facilitate payments between people around the world. And in particular, you know, Facebook's been highlighting how a large part of the population that doesn't have access to traditional banking services could benefit from that. That's interesting. And when you talk about, um, you know, some of the use cases around that, you mentioned some of other Facebook's products like WhatsApp or like Facebook Messenger. Has, has the Libra Association or has Facebook still given some examples of the way that this might be integrated into some of those uh, other products? Not exactly. I mean, one of the things that's a bit unclear still as we near the 2020 target date for the launch of this is exactly how it would work when it is integrated into the existing apps like you know, Messenger, Facebook, 
And also kind of what the end goal is for a company like Facebook when it has all this, you know, financial data as part of its system, yet this is sort of an independent part of those apps. So a lot of questions to be answered on how exactly it'll work, to be honest with you, Arjun. Great. And of course, uh, I think as part of that white paper, they've also talked about Libra being on the blockchain. And we've spoken about blockchain technology in the past, a, a digital ledger of activity, essentially. So they're hoping that technology will help facilitate um, this this new digital coin as well. But Saheli, let me uh, turn to you as well. We keep hearing this term brandied about when people are talking about Libra. Uh, the term is stable coin. Um, what does that mean? And what does it mean in the context of Libra? Yeah, we know cryptocurrencies can be very volatile. Remember in 2017, Bitcoin prices jumped from under $6,000 in November to over 19000 in December, and by February next year, it fell below 7000 again. Stablecoins are a lot more stable because they are backed by stable assets like the US dollar or gold. In the case of Libra, it will also be backed by real-world assets that should prevent huge price moves. Only the Libra Association can create or delete those Libra coins. That's the bit regulators are worried about, but we'll explain that more in a bit. I mean, on the surface, from what you described there, Saheli uh, and Elizabeth as well, it all sounds responsibly designed, a sort of governing body backed by real-world assets. It's clearly a very different design to what Bitcoin is, which is decentralized, no central governing body, huge price swings as well, subject to whatever the market is feeling. But of course, this has not stopped regulators and politicians getting worked up about it. Elizabeth, I've been following your reporting over the past few weeks. You've been looking very closely at the regulatory angle. Um, and you had a scoop recently about the Libra project and whether they had contacted the appropriate regulators. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So the head of crypto at Facebook is a guy named David Marcus. He actually used to be an executive at PayPal. So he testified in front of committees in both the House and the Senate in the U.S. last month. And in that testimony, he talked about how the Libra Association will be overseen by two existing regulators. The first one is the Swiss Financial Markets Supervisory Authority. So that's for its role like as a money services business. And then the Swiss Federal Data Protection and Information Commissioner, quite a mouthful there. And that's for its role in data privacy. So the problem is, when I reached out to that privacy regulator after Marcus's testimony was released, a spokesman told me they hadn't even been contacted by Facebook yet. This doesn't look great for a company that's embroiled in privacy scandals, and it has been a huge focus of the company over the past year. So in the meantime, other data privacy regulators have voiced concerns that Facebook and the Libra Association just haven't given enough detail on how they're going to protect sensitive data, there's also been no shortage of criticism from central bankers and finance ministers who rattle off a list of other concerns. And here are just a few of those that we've heard. The Treasury Department has expressed very serious concerns that Libra could be misused by money launderers and terrorist financiers. If it's not properly regulated, it could become another channel for money launderers, terrorist financiers, organized criminals. All these concerns are substantial. They need to be addressed before the regulators can look at this with genuine interest and positive interest. Those are the voices of U.S. Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin, former U.K. Chancellor Philip Hammond, and ECB President Mario Draghi. So the Libra Association told us in a statement, it maintains that financial inclusion, regulatory harmony, and consumer concerns are not competing objectives, but rather work in lockstep with the association's goals of offering a simple global currency and financial infrastructure that empowers billions of people. 
The lead up to the launch of Libra in 2020 builds in the time for conversations with regulators and policymakers around the world to take their questions into account. Interesting statement there from the Libra Association. They feel that they can balance the uh, privacy issues alongside their goal of financial inclusions. But the privacy issues plus the concerns about money laundering and terrorism finances that you heard there from the ex-chancellor, Philip Hammond, are just a few reasons why regulators are so up in arms. So, Heli, you've been talking to an expert about the precise concerns concerning Libra. How did that conversation go? Regulators are worried because if things go the way the Libra white paper intends to, then the organization can wield a lot of influence on the financial world. Some lawmakers have even gone out to suggest that Facebook is trying to create a new financial system that can rival the U.S. dollar. With that in mind, I asked Zenon Capron, founder of consultancy firm Capronasia, to break down the value proposition of the Libra currency. So I think the Libra value proposition is quite interesting. Uh, when you look back at the original purpose of Bitcoin or the original idea in the Bitcoin white paper was the idea of moving value around the world seamlessly and easily. One of the challenges that Bitcoin faced is user adoption because the Bitcoin protocol and the interface and the way that wallets work is not very intuitive to the average person. So I, I use the mom test. My mom uses a credit card because it's very easy for her to make a purchase using a credit card. I can't see her using Bitcoin in that manner just because it's very challenging. So the adoption of Bitcoin was relatively limited. So although regulators had concerns about Bitcoin, there was kind of this understanding that the adoption was never going to get to mainstream adoption to the point that they would have to worry about it. The really interesting part about the Libra value proposition is that it could get to mainstream. There's a couple of different reasons for that. First of all, it's Facebook behind it. And so if Facebook sets up the Calibra wallet that they've been talking about, which would presumably interface with WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger, already they have a couple of billion people in their network. In addition, if you look at some of the other players that are involved in the initial Libra coalition or network as association, a lot of those players like PayPal and eBay have large footprints as well into the, uh, whether it be e-commerce or the payments ecosystem. So I think if you look at the potential adoption of Libra, it's much, much higher than Bitcoin because Bitcoin is limited to this subset of people. And so I think that's really what's gotten the regulators quite uh, in a fur about what's happening around Libra as opposed to around Bitcoin. I asked him to explain the reasons why regulators were so quick to voice their concerns. Well, I think the reason that we've seen such a large reaction is the potential adoption. First of all, I mean, it's the uh, same concerns exist about Bitcoin, but with Libra, the adoption is much higher. Uh, there are a few different concerns I believe that regulators have. Uh, first, and what they would say up front is they want to protect consumers. So they don't want consumers to be defrauded. Uh, they want consumers to be able to protect their money when they're moving money around the world. Uh, the second order of kind of concerns that they would have are things around anti-money laundering, terrorism financing, much like they do today. I and mean, when you send money around the world, your money goes through several different checks to make sure you're not on watch lists or you're not a terrorist or you don't fit into any of these kind of flagged groups of individuals. And then the third order is the, the potential of governments around the world losing the ability to control monetary policy. Uh, right now, the U.S. dollar has a lot of power and the U.S. government has a lot of power because oil is priced in U.S. dollars and the government, the U.S. government controls which banks can interact with the U.S. dollar. And so using that influence, that sphere of influence, they're able to really, uh, you know, kind of control the, the direction of global economics and global political 
um, the global political situation. With something like Libra, it's something that's outside of their control, and it would essentially be a, a non-government reserve currency or a, a way of moving value around the world. So looking at all three of those orders, it, it, there's a lot of potential risks around that. So, I mean, the Libra project has certainly sparked a big debate around privacy, around the power that ultimately these companies um, could wield as well. But another big debate that it has sparked is about whether crypto, cryptocurrencies are going mainstream or not. We're going to get to that right after this quick message. A CNBC signature event. East Tech West, CNBC's exclusive invitation-only retreat returns to Nanshao, Guangzhou, China in 2019. We explore all things tech from artificial intelligence to 5G. Join the world's most prolific investors, inventors, and entrepreneurs as they share their stories and celebrate innovation. Visit EastTechWest.com for an application to attend. So we've seen a price rise in a lot of digital coins. There are reports Fidelity, one of the biggest wealth management and brokerage firms in the world, is looking to launch a cryptocurrency trading platform. JP Morgan rolled out its own cryptocurrency. Now Facebook is involved in Libra. But is it really going mainstream? Elizabeth, you've been talking to one company who's trying to get it there. Yeah, so you might have heard of a company called Coinbase. It makes money mostly as a trading platform for crypto. But recently, it's also made moves into trying to make it easier to pay for crypto for your average person out there. So here in Europe, the company launched a Visa debit card that essentially lets you choose which digital currency you want to use to pay in any place that accepts Visa. And I talked with the CEO of Coinbase UK, Zeeshan Feroz, about that effort. I think it was a big step forward in terms of making crypto as accessible as the cash in your bank account. It's, it's as liquid as that. You can walk into a shop and spend it. Um, you can also withdraw the cash from an ATM, you know, so it really puts crypto into your pocket in a way that wasn't possible before. What's the response been from people on this card broadly? Uh, it's generally been incredibly positive. We did a slow rollout um, from one country to another. We've now launched into uh, a whole bunch of other countries in Europe. Um, we're seeing a lot of good use cases emerge. People are buying everything from their daily coffees to some big ticket items, travel, season passes, etc. Um, which is exactly what we wanted for, for it to for it to not be a special occasion card, for it to be something that you can embed into your day-to-day -day lives. And that's the dream where crypto will be a part of your day-to-day -day lives. Currently, you go to the store and your lunch is in dollars though, right? I mean, you're still not seeing prices ever in a crypto asset. Is that kind of the ultimate goal here um, from your perspective? It, it really is, but I, I see this as a journey. Uh, you know, there's several steps in this journey, and um, it's no secret that from a transaction throughput point of view, crypto cannot handle, you know, well, Bitcoin, for example, can't handle hundreds of thousands of transactions per second. So what we're trying to solve for is people are, I think the Coinbase card is actually a good hybrid stage where you hold your balances in crypto, but you then piggyback off of the capacity, the transaction capacity in the current financial system to, to make payments. Um, I, I think we're headed in the right direction, but you're right. The, the, the dream here is to be able to denominate prices in crypto. Could that ever really happen? 
I think it could. Um, it, it wouldn't necessarily all be decentralized crypto, though. So I, I think the world, the future we're looking at will have government issued, uh, central bank issued cryptocurrency. So a digital pound, a digital dollar. And it may well be that they maintain dominance for the foreseeable future and, and is the currency that your uh, coffee is denominated in. But I think what they, a, a government issued, central bank issued currency will usher in uh, an era of cryptocurrencies, which will bring in both decentralized and central bank issued currencies. And what do you say to maybe the critics or cynics who think, you know, as soon as the crypto bubble bursts, you know, your company can't withstand that? Um, you know, it's never, this whole mainstream idea is just never going to happen. I'll take that bet. You're willing to take the bet. I'm willing to take that bet. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I come to work every day to, to try and win with. Um, I, I, I think money. The concept of money is, is ripe for innovation. It's something that hasn't changed in a very long time. And we've overlaid a rather clunky financial system onto a digital world where it, 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 it jars, it creates friction. And I think the, the door is wide open for a, a digital form of crypto that continues to, well, frankly, move our lives uh, more into the digital era. Um, so it's ripe for disruption. Um, if crypto doesn't do it, something else will do it, but money will change. Right, so that brings us on to the challenges that remain right now for crypto, hype and regulation. How do you guys see that playing out? I think the biggest challenge is that crypto is still not as widely used. The price run-ups that dominate headlines don't really inspire confidence, Plus, usability is another issue, which ties back to regulators still trying to figure out how to regulate this crypto market and at the same time protect customers while allowing the technology to develop and advance. So I asked Zenon to explain the challenges that lie ahead in the crypto market and what to look forward to. Take a listen. Crypto markets are still very immature. I mean, if we look, it's less than a decade that we've been kind of in this space and seeing, seeing this growth around these various different cryptocurrencies. So I think there's there's a lot that still needs to happen and a lot of maturity to come to it. I think certainly the one conclusion that we can draw from all of this is that over the course of the next decade, we will be moving to digital currencies in general, whether those be cryptocurrencies or uh, just Visa, MasterCard. You know, the, the idea of carrying cash around will be a foregone concept in, in a decade as we move to a, a cashless society globally. Has a hype around crypto died down? Certainly within the crypto community, there's a lot of enthusiasm about the potential of some of these cryptocurrencies, whether they be Bitcoin or Ethereum or any of the other altcoins. I think the price run-ups that we saw in 2017 was based on speculation. And many of these companies had no business model, um, but at the same time, you saw the tokens or the values of these cryptocurrencies increasing very rapidly. So more people piled in and then eventually the, the kind of the first bubble burst around that. And that's something probably that we'll see again and again within the industry. Uh, often we get distracted by shiny objects and too often technology takes the place of a strong business model. So it doesn't really matter if it's blockchain enabled if you don't have the business model around that. If you look at some of the most successful models in the industry, like if we look at cross-border payments as an example, transfer-wise, if we look at um, payments like mobile payments, Alipay and WeChat Pay, when these platforms were set up, there was no blockchain involved. There was very little AI that was involved, but they had a solid business model. They had a model that fit the needs of the market and addressed points of friction in that payments value chain. 
And so often I think that's what we're missing in some of these crypto models is what problem are you trying to solve and how realistic is it for you to solve it? Okay, but why are regulators still worried about fraud and why is money laundering still a concern? One of the challenges in the crypto industry is that many of the people in the industry are um, have never worked in the financial industry before. So they're not aware of some of the, the rules and regulations that are out there. So the implementation of some of the things that we would see as very standard within the financial industry, like AML checks or uh, for anti-money laundering checks or KYC for know your customer checks, just don't happen because they don't realize that they need to happen. And that's something else that's hurt the adoption in particular areas is it's very difficult for these companies to be fully regulated. Many of the companies, the crypto companies who try to get bank accounts struggle to get it because oftentimes they don't have these checks in place and it makes the banks feel very uncomfortable. Because for the crypto company, if there's one AML violation, it may not be that bad for them, but for the bank, it can result in serious fines. So I think it's important to remember that there are a lot of companies out there trying to launch digital coins and trying to get into this crypto space. It's not just Facebook and it's not just Bitcoin. There's so much else happening here. I talked to Ido Sademan. He's an Israeli entrepreneur and he founded a digital coin, also happens to be headquartered in Switzerland, called Saga. And one of the differences is that it would be governed by its holders instead of a consortium of companies like Libra, for example. But interestingly, he told me that in order for Saga to be successful, he has to be working closely with regulators. There is risk. And I, I, I really invite anyone that uh, buys Bitcoin or any other currency out of speculation and wanting to get rich like those who got rich in the beginning not to do so. Uh, it is extremely risky. Innovation is always extremely risky. And when it comes to the fundamentals of our lives, like money, communications, etc., it is even riskier. Ten years ago, regulators didn't care about Bitcoin. It was a niche. Uh, they were all sure that it's going to go away and vanish on its own. And that's not the case anymore. And if we want it not to be a niche and not to be on the side of illicit activities, then I think that we need to work hand, uh, hand by hand with the regulators and with the lawmakers so that the advantages can prosper uh, for the benefit of all of us, but that the concerns that are in many cases very rightful concerns be addressed. Yeah, I think one thing that is quite interesting within the crypto community as a whole is that you've got a varying degrees of uh, people who, who some want to work with the regulators, some feel they don't need the regulations, some feel that the regulators should just completely stay out of it because that's not what cryptocurrencies uh, are about. So interesting to get that viewpoint there. One thing that is clear is that Facebook throwing its hat into this industry has reignited interest in it. If you look at that record high in 2017 for Bitcoin and then the crash and then the recent price rise, despite all that, there is still uncertainty from regulators about how to deal with this space going forward. Exactly. There's still some way to go before crypto becomes mainstream, but it has caught the attention of a lot of people, including lawmakers and regulators, and they're all scratching their heads trying to figure out what to do next. There will also be a lot of interest generated in how this Libra story plays out if and when it launches. So a lot to look forward to. There certainly will be. Guys, fantastic interviews, great reporting. We're going to have to leave it there, though. Uh, that's it for another edition of CNBC's Beyond the Valley podcast. There's plenty more episodes for you to dig into. And don't forget to sign up to our newsletter to get the latest technology news from around the world. All of that is on cnbc.com forward slash beyond the valley. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time. Beyond the Valley.